0: Greetings and welcome to my podcast, Algonquin Defining Moments. This is your host, Gay Clemson, oral history author, storyteller, and lover of all things Algonquin Park. As you know, I've researched and written extensively over the last 20 years about the human history of Algonquin Park, which I'm really having fun sharing with you. In my last episode, I talked about the early history of the Portage Store on Canoe Lake from 1935 to the mid-1970s and I shared stories of the incredible collection of characters that owned the lease and later the concession during those years. As I've mentioned before, because for so many years my family had a lease on Canoe Lake, the Portage store has always had a special place in my heart. Though I do chuckle from time to time at the antics of novice canoe paddlers and occasionally would get annoyed when some decided to camp on my dock, Overall, I've always loved seeing so many newcomers on the water, experimenting and testing their paddling skills. Today, I'm excited to have with me Sven Miglin, who, with many members of his family, has been the heart and soul behind the Portage store since 1976. So, Sven, welcome to Algonquin Defining Moments.
1: Thank you for for the privilege of talking about Algonquin. I can't think of a finer subject.
0: So I thought maybe the best place to start, as I think you know, uh, the first episode I talked about the 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 Colsons who had gotten the store back in, or at least had built the first store back in the '30s, and some of the other people that had uh, owned it uh, or owned the the lease for it up until that point, and of course ending with the with the uh, uh, Simpson era. Uh, so I'm really interested in in first if you could tell us a little bit about how you and and Eric ended up even being interested in this thing, let alone doing it.
1: Well, I think it's also fair to say there was really three of us from day one, and members of the family. My wife, Donna, who at the time we were engaged but not married and got married after one year, she was involved from day one. She too quit her job. Yes, she technically didn't have ownership. It was my brother and I, uh, but she was there from day one. So the three of us did it. And it was probably more uh, the... The possibility of of operating a business, of having the adventure of doing it, than just being in Algonquin Park. We knew the park, but we were not long-term leaseholders or or camp goers who had been there from their whole childhood. Had done a few canoe trips. My parents had no affiliation with the park. So while we liked the park, we now love the park. Um, (laughs) At that time, um, it was more of the business adventure. And both Eric and I had just started in the corporate uh, field. We both were engineers, and my brother had done an MBA. And uh, he, he heard about it at a lunch that Ken Simpson was retiring, the government was going to have to find out a new operator. Um, no internet to look it up on. So, a bunch of phone calls later, he had the park superintendent on the line. We were sent the package. We looked at it. We honestly didn't think we had a chance in securing the lease. We weren't connected to members of the ruling political party, if you know what I mean. Um, But it looked like an interesting thing to do. So as we kept our day jobs, evenings, weekends, we worked on building a business plan and putting it together. Um, And surprise,
0: surprise, uh, we were successful. Wow, that's great. So as you may know, I, you know, did a lot of research in the archives on, on, uh, and read a lot of the lease records of the progress from the thirties. And one of the things that kept, kept coming up for me was how rigid the rules were, or even the expectations about what the portage store was supposed to be or do or whatever. So I'm I'm interested in, in, you know, whether the ministry had specific ideas they gave to you about how they wanted it to, look and be and do, or or were you, uh, uh, you know, did you have a fair bit of freedom to kind of think about how you wanted to, it to evolve? Yeah, I understand the question. I think the honest answer would
1: be a bit of both. Yes, they they had some issues with with uh, Miss Algonquin and the big tour boat and, and motor boats. There was a real drive in those days to uh, uh, return to more natural setting uh, within the park. Um, so, so they had were looking for 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 a more of an outfitting business that would set in the park. The first mandate to be serve the park visitors, preserve park qualities. The second component would be perhaps make a living and return a fair uh, and uh, a return back for your investment. So, uh, they had ideas, but. Uh, they certainly allowed us or to contribute as well. So it was a mixture of, of us wanting to do things differently. We didn't want to rent motorboats. We didn't want to run a turbo, though a turbo would probably still be successful. <laughs> yes, probably. It, it fit Algonquin Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and we liked the nature and and the wilderness experience and all the things Algonquin had to offer. So they, they set rules and restrictions, understandably. Um, but uh, if we were able to, to do something better or differently, they were generally willing to listen to it. Um, it's probably more restrictive today because our whole society has become more rules oriented mm-hmm. than it was 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, through a combination of them looking for a certain kind of operation and my brother and I and Donna wanting to do something different, we were young people and thought we knew everything, which we obviously didn't, but that led us off in a certain direction. and uh, uh, the storm reflected that over the next couple of years, I think
0: that's right. So tell us about that first season, you know, I mean, I remember talking to you some time ago where you were expecting a sort of sellout season, and everyone was as well. What really happened?
1: Well, uh, expecting a sellout season, no, but certainly a good season. And we had, you know, crunched the numbers in our business plan about, what we could expect for revenue and sales, um, and had based our expenses and our, our uh, wages and expenditures on, uh, on projected sales. Um, and in fact, we thought we were probably smarter than other people and we drive the sales even higher. Uh, but lo and behold, two things. One, we weren't that smart. And number two, uh, the weather really was lousy the first year. And, and, and I think um, the operation of many tourism businesses, certainly the Portage store, weather is a key component. You know, you, you can't play golf in, in the rain or, or not well. And, and uh, you can't ski down a ski hill if there's no snow. And Algonquin is much better enjoyed. Uh, when it's sunny and warm as opposed to cold and rainy and we had a lot of cold and a lot of rain sales numbers were down significantly less than we had been uh, led to believe we did not match what ken simpson had done in his last year or the numbers that the ministry told us about so it was uh, very stressful we had to lay a few staff off we couldn't pay all the bills we'd expected to pay um and we became worried that that might not only be our first year but might be our last year fortunately at the end of the year late august september weather got better we had a couple good weekends and uh we got by but there wasn't much spare cash left at the end of the first year
0: now my recollection also was that was about the time where the ontario parks was also opening up parks all over the place um, do you think that had any impact? Uh, it may have. You know, I don't have any empirical evidence to
1: support that argument or or to challenge it. Certainly, uh, they were opening up parks in the seventies. There was also, I think, a push to 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 limit some use of the park because there's always that conflict between preserving nature and using nature. You know? Well,
0: and and that would have been just about the time right where they were getting really serious about the 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 bottle ban and the reservation systems and some of those other things to manage some of that use
1: yeah and sometimes some of them i think unfortunately thought the best way to manage it is let's make it restrictive so less people can go in and there'll be less impact on the environment from a business point of view of course that's very detrimental so um that may be Contributing factor in in the seventies, and uh it was much, much quieter then than it is today, absolutely, especially yeah. the fall, which perhaps we'll talk about later,
0: yeah, yeah, let's talk about that in a little bit, so one of the things that I noticed that was really different, uh, and we sort of touched on it, which you know was this shift from tourist folks who are just dropping in for lunch or visit the gift shop or whatever. And a a desire to 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 um, cater to people who are really interested in outfitting. So I'm really interested in some of your some of the things that you've been doing since then and now even uh, because it's 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 quite an it's it's different but it's also quite extensive now uh, what you do in outfitting.
1: Yes, it is actually. Uh, Ken Simpson had been a very successful businessman, but he had operated the it as a restaurant as a tour boat and as really just a motorboat and canoe rental you know you could get a tent you could get a pack if you really wanted to but primarily he was renting canoes and motorboats to people he was catering to to the traditional uh tourists or uh, more than than park visitors in the sense of going back into the interior uh that's what he had done we came in we thought the opportunity and the ministry was looking for uh somebody who could provide more services better services a wider range of services to the uh, in in um, in the outfitting department and uh, probably were less concerned about the restaurant and and um, the retail component they thought the retail should reflect what we do in outfitting. So we moved from just renting canoes to starting to rent lighter weight Kevlar canoes, to renting more equipment, uh, more more than just an odd tent or a pack. And after a couple of years of doing that, uh, we got into what we call complete outfitting. Not an original idea we came up with, but there were other outfitters in North America who were providing a complete package and Algonquin Outfitters, our main competitor outside the park, was doing a fair amount of that already, but the Portage Store had not. So we got into providing a complete package. It's grown over the years, but basically you can show up with uh, the clothes on your back and, and uh, that's it. We will provide you with all the equipment. I'm right down to... Uh, matches and uh, toilet paper and rope to hang your food barrel all the equipment we'll do a menu you tell us what you like and don't like and we'll pack the right amount of food the right way the right kinds of food um, and then we'll spend an hour or two with you before you go up they're not guided trips i'll get into that in a moment but they're complete packages for those that don't have the right equipment because Many experiences are ruined by a leaky tent Mm. or or a stove that doesn't work or or bringing food in a cooler and you can't get the cooler up a tree so the animals get it. If you've got the right equipment, you're half the way there to having a much more enjoyable experience. So complete outfitting. We We got into guiding a little bit, though not a lot of overnight guiding because that consumes a lot of resources, a lot of staff to do that. But we offer one-day guiding outings leave in the morning, come back for dinner with a guide. And we bring people together. So two from Germany, four from Cleveland, Ohio, and, and they make a group and we give them orientation at the beginning. Uh, we offer a half day. We offer a full day. And the full day, we pack a picnic lunch. Um, so they're getting an outing into the sun and on the water, but they're picking up a little bit of formal instruction at the beginning and more throughout in a more casual way throughout the entire trip. So we did that. Uh we got into canoe delivery to the campgrounds mm-hmm. because many of the campgrounds wanted the canoe but had to come to the portage store or bring their own or bring it there. And transporting a canoe on some vehicles is very difficult. So we started delivering it and today you know, we've got a truck with two or three people going out for a morning run and coming back and doing an afternoon run to all the campgrounds so that people have access to a canoe there, which might be their first introduction to canoeing. Right. Um, those were the sort of things Then getting into into more sophisticated equipment, uh, stoves and, and better tents and and uh, uh, seal containers, you know, that, that accommodate different ways of handling different kinds of foods that you can't bring in because of the can and bottle ban. So it became much more of an outfitting store. And clearly today, if you were to look at the numbers, uh, it's the dominant service. Outfitting is really? well, it's well over half our business.
0: Really, I was going to ask if you have any sense of of how much of the business is is you know related to outfitting in some way, because it's still a I mean, uh, the Portage store is still also a launch pad for children's camps, and I see lots of different other people coming, you know, from other jurisdictions that bring kids and tours and stuff like that
1: yeah well the draw really is algonquin and what algonquin has to offer i think we serve an excellent hamburger but i'm not sure if i would drive from buffalo new york to have one of the hamburgers (laughs) but i would drive from buffalo new york to go on a canoe trip in algonquin because of the of of what it holds so um that is the attraction you know in the first couple of years when we were doing sportsman shows and advertising you know we put up the sign saying the portage Store, you know Canoe Outfitters, Smaller Print Algonquin Park. Right. Later, lady, if you'd walk by our booth, it would say, Algonquin Park, in big words. Right. Where were this canoe tripping? And then small words, the Portage Store.
0: Right. Yes,
1: they had to come to the store eventually. That's where we wanted them to come. But the hook would have been Algonquin and everything Algonquin has to offer. Right. Uh, that is what draws people. And and outfitting, um is what they're looking for. Yes, they'll have something to eat in our restaurant or or buy a, a t-shirt to take home as a gift. Uh, but it's the outfitting services that attracts most of them. There are the exceptions, the day visitors, the people looking at fall colors. But the person who's coming for an overnight experience is, is looking to camp and
0: canoe the backcountry. Right. Now, when I was younger. Um my recollection, and I may be totally wrong on this, there was only one kind of canoe. And and I've noticed now that's not the case anymore, that you have all different kinds. Can you tell us a little more about the different kinds of canoes and and, you know, what people choose normally? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. When we opened it up in
1: 1976, we bought 250 canoes, all aluminum, all the same make, and two different lengths, and that was it. Uh, today yes we still have some aluminum they make an excellent day rental canoe we have fiberglass canoes which are good for day rental but we got into kevlar um, and carbon fiber the main benefit being strength and 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 you can make them much lighter our top of the line pro light carbon fiber canoe weighs about 37 pounds 35 pounds Uh, that's a lot less than a than a 69 pound aluminum canoe so the material kevlar being the dominant one um the 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 size of canoes we have solo canoes for individual people Uh, we have 15 foot kevlars we have 16 foot we have 17 we have 18 foot three seaters oh wow Um, the old timers would cringe because they never had any seats in an old time canoe and then traditionally the third person sat on the floor but uh, now we we have eighteen foot Kevlars, with and they only weigh forty eight pounds. my wife and I, when my kids were small, would go four people with two kids. My, my my kids now would go with my grandkids, and an eighteen footer would take two adults, two young children, and all the gear. yeah, have to take two canoes and two adults and two eight year old boys. That would be very hard, especially on the portages or on the windy day when the canoe gets pushed around. The trade-off really became different varieties, so you could carry a, a different capacities, and and the weight of the canoe, because Algonquin canoe trips involve portaging. You know that's why kayaks, though they're wonderful device uh, watercraft, and we have some for day rentals. Kayaks are not well suited to a, a week-long canoe trip in Algonquin. That's right. Now, have you had
0: any you know any funny instances that you re- can recall of things that have happened to your or canoes? Well, I, um, I try to work with my
1: staff and tell them that, yes, there are amusing things that we see happen, often right at the dock, but most of it comes out of the people aren't familiar with canoeing. They, they don't understand the craft. They, they, they step into it thinking it's a floor and I'll step on a floor, but if you step on one side of a canoe and not dead center, you may well be swimming a, a couple seconds later. So a lot of it comes out of just have, not having the right knowledge. But it will lead to people overloading canoes, not our canoes so much, because our staff are trained to, to intervene very quickly and say, whoa, 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 don't put that in the canoe. Help them on how to get in and how to load. We've done a couple of times had to go in ourselves or send staff in to find a canoe wedged in the rocks and mm-hmm. the rapids. My brother and I pulled one out in our first year and it was stuck in the Lake of Two Rivers above the campground. You wedge a canoe into the rocks and and get the water pinning it against it, and you can't move it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen on my own personal canoe trips, be, uh, people doing silly, stupid things in canoes. Um, often with my canoes, and they often they won't know who I am. I look like an average tripper out there, but uh, uh, coming across two people with a with one of our aluminum canoes and a rope tied to it and everything in the canoe, and they're dragging it through the portage oh my very hard on the canoe even an aluminum canoe yeah they were sweating and they were cursing because it's a lot more difficult to do it they thought this would be a better way to do it
0: that reminds me of when I was I think one of my first canoe trips when we went up to Jolie I think we were going to the otter slides and and saw this group that had a boat and they had put all the stuff in the boat and were trying to carry the boat over the joe lake portage <laughs> it's like- exactly
1: it's easier to carry things in packs. people show up with with all loose things in grocery bags and, and throw the grocery bags and load the, ch- the canoe up with like a trunk of a car okay and in the water but when you get to the portage right it's a whole another story whole other um you know people worry about getting lost and yes it has happened but not on the lakes because it's pretty hard to get lost on a lake. You eventually run into the shoreline and you can't go any further. But people decide to go for a walk in the wilderness after dinner. And those are the ones who might be walking for a day or two Ooh, wow. uh, to come out. So uh, we've had some of that. People who have set up campsites improperly, which I see. So uh, thankfully, it doesn't often lead to a serious injury or worse. So that's wow. important. That's good.
0: So one of the things that I find absolutely wonderful about the Portage Store, and I and I think it's unique, but then I may be wrong here, which is that it's it's it looks at least from the outside like it's managed and run by all these young people, and they all seem to know what they're doing. Um, so I wondered if you could, you know, tell us a little bit about a how that happened, and and then. You know, just a little bit about your management style and how you help them because they're isolated, right? They're 45 miles from the closest town, <laughs> and that, you know,
1: yeah, you're challenge really, for young people. A <laughs> number of interesting things. Certainly, right from the beginning, we were young. My brother and I were 24, 25, and my wife was the same. So we were hiring kids our age, young people our age. Some were older. Um, and we wanted to be treated ourselves a certain way. We'd worked a little bit, summer jobs. I had one one job before I got into this, um, and wasn't a real fan of being a hierarchy and and a military style operation. I thought uh, that we're a team. We all work together, and we all contribute, and everybody's important. So uh, that was really the driving force at the beginning of of trying to to get them involved, have them feel that they have some ownership, that it's a team. People want to to contribute. They want to be part of something. They don't want to be told what to do all the time. They have to be trained. They have to be given the right tools, but they want the opportunity to, to, to become part and to contribute and to think on their own. And we promote young people very quickly. We'll have a third or fourth year university student supervising an entire department Um, by its very nature it's hard to keep somebody in their 40s occupied because we're closed every winter a few of us work throughout the winter not every day certainly but we don't we're not open we don't have an operation so what would these people do it's 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 a tough way to build a career so a young person by definition is looking to work for a couple of months um often when they graduate they want to travel for a winter. So they work six months, they travel six months, they come back, they work another six months. Um, And uh, I have found that the vast majority of young people, if you hire right, and you give them the right tools, perform very, very well. We have had great success with the vast majority of, of young staff that have worked for us. And as you say, they've made the store. I mean, the most important asset we have isn't our canoes, it's our staff. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, when they're engaged, when they're interested, um, they, you know, it's just a better operation. They care about what they're doing. They take pride and ownership in the store. They talk it to be our store, not my store. So that's what we did. Yes, they're young people. They do the short of things young people do, and we have to entertain them because it's a long way from there to the nearest movie theater
0: or pub by the water. We're in the middle of Algonquin Park. That's right. So tell us tell us more a little bit about some of the events that you do to keep them. I, I was reading about that you've done, you do little canoe regattas and scavenger hunts, and tell us more about this Christmas thing in July I heard about. Yeah. Well, there's a few, and I'll go through them chronologically
1: throughout the year. You know, in the spring, it tends to be returning experienced staff. Uh, so you don't need the events. They can manage on their own. Then we had an orientation day, serious component of, of training, letting them know our expectations. and, and But uh, we also wanted to start building the team. So in the evening, everybody gets put on a team, uh, four teams, uh, spread them all out. And we have these regatta silly races across the bay, Uh, you know, four people in a canoe and canoe has to go backwards. Uh, People go in one canoe and have to switch canoes in the middle of the water and bring back the other canoe, Uh, (laughs) the Titanic, which is the final race, eight people in a canoe, a 15 foot canoe. It's got an inch and a half of freeboard. And and the goal is to get to these anchored buoys out in the middle of the bay and back. And the majority don't make it. Uh, so everybody gets wet everybody laughs at people at the end of the event they throw me in the water i know they're going to do it ah okay i used to go in there or gather but it's getting harder and harder to to, to compete with the young people so there was something uh july uh 12th whatever the re- the exact date is for tom thompson and the anniversary of his death uh they go out and we take the staff up to the his gravesite or his temporary gravesite, depending on what you believe the truth is um, in the evening. Obviously they all wear life jackets because you don't want to get in trouble. And we try to not be too noisy, though the odd Lisa elder has told us we weren't successful at keeping the noise down because it's midnight. And, and they were probably right. And they walked them up to the trail where the grave is or the graveyard is. and tell stories and of course the senior staff organized it and they want to scare the living bejesus out of the younger staff so we hang somebody from a tree the best one was we bear they buried a staff when i say buried they look for an indentation made a little bit deeper put somebody in threw leaves and branches and some dirt on them and had just their head out until they could hear the young people being brought up by the guides and then they covered the face with straws There's no, it's nighttime, there's a few lanterns or candles flickering, no bright lights. And we gathered everybody around that area. And one of the staff started telling a story about graves or whatever. And at the appropriate moment, the individual burst out of the ground screaming. And there there were a dozen staff headed back down that trail as fast as they could go. So so, so the Tom Thompson night. Christmas, July 25th. Everybody draws a name. Everybody has to buy a present for somebody else. Santa appears. We've got a whole Santa's outfit. Somebody gets a Christmas tree. Not from within the park, of course, because you can't <laughs> chop down a live tree. The evening really is having people come up one by one and opening up their presents on Santa's lap in front of the whole mm-hmm. crowd. You get 40 or 50 people buying presents and you can imagine how humorous some of them become. Yes. Uh, well,
0: especially since they would have spent, you know, they've been there already a month or two. So it's not like they just met each other. They have some pretty deep friendships, I would su- suspect. Yeah,
1: and there's been relationships that there always will be when you've got young people together. And these all come out in the present when people do it. Sometimes they have to open a three or four part present reading poems or whatever if the gift giver has gone to a lot of trouble. So that's July 25th. Um, and then there's talent night. So in in mid to late August we have a skit night. It's exactly as you said. Some staff have talent and play the guitar and sing a song or or whatever. Other staff have no talent whatsoever, and they get up and they put on skits, often making fun of other staff. So the the outfitters would put on a restaurant skit, you know, and picking up on all the quirky things that have happened in the restaurant during and and. Uh, um, Talent night is very, very popular. We would film it. Today we video. In the old days, we'd make eight millimeter film. So the whole thing would be recorded and shown later. Um, Talent night was very, very popular. And then in the fall, we finished with Thanksgiving dinner. Oh. Uh, We wanted staff to come back and help. Closing the store is a huge job. Uh, Many of them are back in school. We have a reduced fall staff but we could use a lot of bodies at Thanksgiving weekend to run the weekend, which is busy and to close the store down or start closing it down. So we entice them to come back up from school. Many of them want to see their friends who they've missed now since the summer. Um, They work some shifts and make some money. And on the Sunday night, we push all the tables together. The poor restaurant staff have been serving customers all day long. We might've been full for five or six hours. But in the ovens, a couple of big turkeys are going. And uh, we serve turkey with all the fixings to all the staff. Staff get dressed up a little bit. And then we go through the speeches. We give awards for three years, five years, eight years. I presented one or two of our older staff with 30-year awards for having been at the Portage store for 30 years. The good ones, of course, we want them to come back. And Thanksgiving is a way of of thanking them. we give a we give a a Trip of the year award there's a, a whole scheme where if you take go tripping you log how many lakes you've been on and how many portages oh, wow. you get, get more points if you take a rookie because we want the you the new kids to go out with a senior staff so we reward that and somebody becomes tripper of the year and a name on a plaque and they got a hundred dollar certificate to pick something from the store uh, we have two scholarships we give out in the name of Jim Nichols, who was a longtime staff, who unfortunately was killed in a car accident years later. When mm-hmm. he he'd become a doctor, so to honor him, we created that uh, um, scholarship and we present it to some individual who's going into
0: university to help them with the cost of university. Um, so it's it's a fun evening one of the other areas i'm really interested in is your perspective because you you see it in a way that no probably very few other people do which is you know how the the kind of person who wants to visit is really different now than it was back when i was a kid
1: it certainly has changed in many ways, and part of it reflects, as I'll get in towards the end, of the changes that have happened demographically in Ontario and in North America. But at the beginning, um, you know, without being the least bit racist, they were white Canadians who had had a cottage or a camp experience as kids or from their parents, and they, they knew about camping and they weren't new to Canada. Um, the fishermen uh, were more likely to go fishing then than they go today. Today they want motorboats and depth finders and fish finders. Uh, so the true canoeing <laughs> fisherman has left us. Very few of us are still around who could use a wire line on Big trout and know what they're doing. Um, we used to open at six o'clock for long weekends and there's nobody lined up at six o'clock now. Mm. Just don't want to get up. So um so then we began to see visiting the park, the, the new Canadians you know, um, and they came first as day visitors to see the fall colors, to, to stay outside the park at a larger hotel and come in for the day. Then some of them started camping, highway camping at the campground mm-hmm. that became the next stage. And they may never have graduated to canoe tripping, but their kids did the second generation now. Um, so, uh, Seeing people of all different ethnic backgrounds, um, religions, etc., it's just like Toronto is a much different city today than it was when I went to university there
0: in the '70s, um, and and Algonquin Park is the same. Yeah, it's, much it's, more it's, multicultural, right? More very multicultural. diverse groups of folks, and I think that's just so wonderful that they can then, and, and, and that they're brave enough because that it takes a fair bit of bravery too to. It's you know, sure, sure right, it does, because it's uh, it's relatively
1: safe if you wear a life jacket. We're not talking about deliverance and, and rivers and rapids and <laughs> waterfalls. It's all lake paddling. Um, you know, you can't hurt yourself in a canoe by running into the shore. You know, it's embarrassing, but... but uh, uh, the canoes don't go very fast, so it is relatively safe, but it's it's an unknown to people. People are worried about the animals, the bears, the wolves, and, and yes, you have to be cognizant of, of them and, and and take the right steps, but wolves don't attack people. They do in nursery trails. They don't in real life, so uh, um, it, it's demographically quite different. Um, age-wise, canoe tripping still is done more by young people than old people Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons there are still people who take their kids and families and and those kids are blessed to have that experience when they're five or eight or ten or twelve because they couldn't do it on their own Uh, but that now could be all different generations or all different ethnic groups that would take their kids so that's the
0: biggest change um and my understanding is, lo- I mean, I'm very rarely there in the fall, but I understand that, that the place is packed in the fall. What kinds of folks come in the fall? Well, let me start off by
1: saying you're absolutely right. The fall has changed more than any other season. Spring is still spring. There's bugs and it can be cool and quiet. Summer's beautiful and it's always been popular. But when we ran the, the, outf- uh, the store in the 80s, It was like turning off a faucet into September. We would drop from 20 staff and outfitting to to four or five. Now, the fall can be as busy as the summer, especially on the weekends. Um, The colors attract people. There's not much better place to see the colors than Algonquin Park. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no bugs. Uh, People now are more inclined to travel outside of July and August and take holidays. They take shorter holidays, but they take more holidays. The two-week holiday isn't done very often in Algonquin by anybody, but those who love it might come three or four times, including a fall trip. So falls have become quite different. We're very busy. Our restaurant record day would be set in on a weekend in the fall, not in really? the city. yes, it would be because no. most of the, the day visitors who've come to see the colors, they need they need lunch, <laughs> you know, and 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 uh they're out in day rentals we rent a lot of canoes for for a day and a half day in the fall uh, we do guided trips and things like that yes people are going back on canoe trips but probably more canoe tripping in july and august than yeah. september I mean, but there's a lot of day visit uh, campgrounds are full and um uh, it's it's become a very popular to the point where the the color weekend as we call it, which is usually a week or two before Thanksgiving, though it could be Thanksgiving. I mean, there have been five kilometer lineups at the gate. The cars go back Mm. to the gate boundary and then the parking lots and the trails get full literally people stopped and the parking lot is full. So the falls have become quite busy, Uh, challenging for business. It's good to be busy, but it's got its challenges.
0: Do you think that the pandemic is going to have any long-term impact on, you know, visitorship or, you know, what that profile of a typical Algonquin visitor is? Interesting question. Certainly the two
1: summers, the one that we've had and the one we're just getting into were, were very busy because of the pandemic Restaurants We've got very quiet. Did less than half its volume because it was restricted and closed off and retail was quiet, but people, couldn't go anywhere out of Ontario, so they went from Toronto, where most of them are, the GTA, and they came north, and many came to Algonquin. And July and August were the busiest Julys and August from a canoeing point that we'd ever seen. The weather has to be good as well, it was reasonably good. The bookings for this year are, again, fairly busy. In fact, quite busy, because people last year began to realize that that deciding on Wednesday afternoon that you wanna go canoeing for the weekend, was fine except you couldn't get a permit or you couldn't get a canoe so the falls can be can be very busy but let me just interject something here which i think is important um a lot of these people are first time or or visitors who haven't seen a lot of ogre and they don't know what they're doing to some extent and they're dressed differently and, and the hardcore can can make fun of that or look at it but um if we want parks to continue to be funded by the governments, we need the people who live in the cities. That's where the votes are. That's who the politicians listen to. We need them to say parks are important. know yeah. outdoor spaces are important, and you preserve them. And if they and if they don't come and experience it and don't know what it is, then they won't tell that to the politicians. And when there's you know. 50 representatives elected in the GTA and, and two in Muskoka, um, you need and want those people to come up and realize the unique special qualities Canada has with its parks and wilderness. And we've got to preserve it and they've got
0: to tell the politicians that. Yep. So that's a real benefit. Well, Everybody. and also there that, that there's a set of values associated with that participation that's really important.
1: We have to be cognizant of of too much use of the park and the wrong kind of use of a wilderness area. Um, But just to get back to your last question, um, I'm not sure what the pandemic will do long term. There's lots of speculation, uh, but I don't have a crystal ball. Certainly, people who wouldn't have come to the park came last year, Mm -hmm. and that's a good thing. Some of them will
0: fall in love with it and come back. Somewhere. Well, I, I'm hoping that that happens a lot. And and I, I expect it will. It's one of those places, right, that you, you fall in love with instantly and you're stuck for the rest of your life. But, do you ever worry about safety, though? I mean, yes. I worry about that sometimes.
1: The good thing, really, the, the biggest danger, and it really is water safety. It's not getting lost in Ogonquit. Yes, the odd person manages to do it, but they're not going to die they're gonna have a different holiday but there's lots of water back there they don't need food and 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 they'll be found or they'll walk their way out in a day or two um so it's a water safety and we rent nothing but pfds you know zip up life jackets that you wear like a vest and we encourage people to wear them and i would suggest that if you went out on the lake well over 90 percent of our canoe, maybe 95, the people are wearing a life jacket. I wear mine, and I'm a good swimmer. Um, so that's the first safety thing. Um, yes, they could get into trouble around the the, the campsite. An axe is sharp, and if you don't handle it properly, you can lose a finger. Uh, you can break a leg walking a trail, like you can break it in in downtown Toronto. So uh, water safety is it. Animals concern people, but Really? But bears are few and far between. I, I honestly say to people when they get out of the car in, my, in the parking lot, the most dangerous part of your trip is now over, driving up the highway. <laughs> um, so uh, um, it is relatively safe, but uh, you have to behave yourself as well.
0: Now, I understand that both your children were raised at the Portage store. Right. How on earth did you do that and run it all summer long? I mean, that must've been an amazing challenge.
1: Well, it is, but as any parent will tell you, once you have kids and you know, you, have got them for life and you've got to raise them on whatever you're doing. Um, we, they grew up at the porridge store when they were, you know, infants to, to grade one. Um, we hired a nanny, a young staff member who would look after them because my wife, Dawn and I were involved full-time in the business. I could see my kids very often. You know, It annoyed some of the staff that they would come in, interrupt the media, and come running over to show me a frog they found at the beach with the nanny. And to me, that's worth the interruption. I'm going to do that. I've got that ability within my business to see them. Uh, we made sure that they were safe, wearing life jackets, having a nanny who knew how to swim, and water safety. The staff looked after them. The, the young people cared for them. So. Uh, they became actually quite used to speaking to older kids, older people than most children do. Mm -hmm. And they lived there. They missed the companionship of other young people. And that was a concern because there was no other young people around there day by day by day. Uh, Once we got to grade one, it meant moving to Huntsville and putting them into school here and and commuting back every evening while they were in school. sending them to camps when they got a little older so that uh, they could, you know, play with their friends, be with young people. Uh, but they have a profound love of the park. My daughter is now an owner at the I store with her husband, Vince. My son is a lawyer in Toronto, but he'd rather be canoeing in Algonquin Park than be arguing in court. He just can't <laughs> make a living canoeing, so he's got to be a lawyer. Uh, so, yeah, they came away with a deep love of the park. Um, and many people do if they spend the amount of time that my kids did
0: spend yeah yeah Um, well it's certainly my experience as a leaseholder and 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 most of the kids that we've raised have gone on to you know either spend a lot of time canoeing or or versions thereof so one last question you know once you've shut everything down what do you do
1: interesting question when we first were attracted to the of our store. That was one of the appeal. We thought we could work hard, make some money in the summer, and then have significant off time in the winter. The idea of having two or three weeks holiday every year, period, was not very appealing to me. You can't do things. So that the winter is, is a downtime. Having said that, there's a fair amount of work that has to be done by us in the winter. Hiring new staff, buying new canoes, going to sportsman shows in those days, websites, printed material, setting rates, but you have flexibility. You don't have to do it in the first week of January. You can do it in the third week of January. So it does give us the option to travel. And I've been to 60 or so odd countries around the world and and, uh, gone skiing when I want to and those things in the winter as long as you get enough work done because the springtime will arrive uh, no matter how cold it seems in january um but it is a bit of a a november used to be a real month where i just try to get everything off my desk and do as little as i had to and and unwind we take pull the kids out of school and go to arizona for a week or disneyland in november midweek and and enjoy the time doing that um I also got into other businesses. I became a community member in Huntsville, so I dabbled in local politics and the hospital board. So that was time consuming even in the winter.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but it is a different work schedule, yeah, Six, seven days a week in the summer, never having a, a weekend off at all. My kids never had a summer holiday, but a lot more time in the winter to yeah. do things and the freedom to to do things on short notice if you felt like it, yeah so
0: yeah.
1: you know, like anything it's got its pros and it's got its cons.
0: All right so tell me how many lakes do you think you've actually visited or camped on or whatever in Algonquin I suspect you have the record
1: well there probably are some camp counselors and old time guides who have been on quite a few but I have gone out on canoe trips every year since I started the business um, I call it field research my wife calls it a fishing trip so it's somewhere <laughs> <laughs> um, and i was out on a trip i came back yesterday with four of my buddies and the question came up around the campfire um and i think i've been on about 300 i've counted them i've sat down with a map and a glass of wine and and counted them um and it's around 300 and there's probably about 450 lakes in the park that you would have a name you would consider them a lake some of them are very hard to get to they have no portage trails wow um, My son and I uh, uh, spent a lot of time when he was 15 to 25 doing really different canoe trips in the park, starting and going to remote lakes to knock them off the list. We did one trip with 30,000 meters of (gasps) portaging. Wow. 30 kilometers of carrying, 10, 10 kilometers in the first day. You know, we did another trip where we did 21 portages the first day. That means we're on 20 lakes. Wow. Moving very quickly to get through the territory. So I've seen a lot of the lakes. I've got my favorites. I've got some areas I wish I could go back to. I've got a few I wanted to go to, and I'm probably too old to get in there now.
0: Mm. Well, now I've got a new idea for another podcast. I'll have to invite you back, and we'll have to talk about Algonquin's defining lakes, <laughs> and, so happy and I and I I have a bunch of stories. I've I've never looked at it from this perspective before, but I have all kinds of lakes where I've got interesting stories. so It would be fun to talk about the lake and then talk about either you know and not necessarily well some of them are accidents, but you know just funny things that happened on different lakes, and just talk about you know your experiences in that lake. So I think it'd be really fun to do. I would love to come back.
1: You know, last year I had the joy of going with my four grandkids and, and my kids and their spouses to Happy owl which is a very nice lake off Opiongo for a three-day, four-day canoe trip. And... Well, I can't think of a better four days I've ever had in my life than being back there with those uh, band kids and watching the joy and the excitement in their eyes as they caught a fish or they jumped off a rock or they came running with some bug they'd found. And um, so it is a beautiful area. and, And I could talk about many lakes and some of the interesting characteristics of those lakes.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed our chat immeasurably, and I look forward to the next time.
1: Thank you for for the privilege of talking about Algonquin. I can't think of a finer subject.
0: For me, the Portage store is a special place. Though I have no memory of the original store, my parents used to speak lovingly of it as if it were a long-lost friend. There are family photographs of relatives waiting patiently at the end of the Portage store dock, surrounded by gear, waiting for us to arrive in our little boat to take them to our cottage. I got my first and only starring acting role as a 12-year-old in an Ontario Motor League movie about canoe safety that was filmed on Portage Bay Beach in the 60s. I came of age during a time when water skiing wasn't banned. And can remember when one of my favorite pastimes was to drive our water ski boat to the portage store, heading full speed towards the docks, throwing the engine into reverse with a huge roar and backwash, frightening more than a few visitors, I'm sure. Totally politically incorrect in this day and age, but it is a wonderful memory nonetheless. The ice cream counter was a major place to hang out as a teenager, as was oogling the big muscled guys who carried canoes back and forth which had us sighing in ecstasy, and then mooning the Miss Algonquin as it passed by, had us all laughing until our sides hurt. Even today, for most residents, a visit to the Portage store is a fun adventure. To admire items in the gift shop, buy a new Portage store or Algonquin sweatshirt, or inspect the outfitting store merchandise. Trips for an ice cream cone on a hot summer afternoon or after dinner and visits for an occasional meal out at the restaurant were and are a must during every summer season. Summer Canoe Rescues, providing on-the-fly canoe lessons and directions to local Canoe Lake historic sites, are an embedded part of the fabric of living on Canoe Lake. The Portage store on Portage Bay not only provides services, but is also the emotional center for profound Algonquin experiences, as it has been and done since its beginning in 1935. I hope you've enjoyed this second of two episodes into the history of what is now an Algonquin institution, beloved by many, and for many others, their first experience of of Canada's natural wonders. My book on the topic of Algonquin Park's Portage Store, as well as my Paddler's Guide to the Lost History of Algonquin Park's Canoe Lake, can be both found on the Friends of Algonquin's online or in-person bookstores. Pictures of what the old store looked like you can find on my website, (music) www.algonquinparkheritage.com.